0: There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling.
1: Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass."
0: Brett screwed Brett.
2: Die, Rocky die.
0: Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history.
2: Listen now. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This
1: episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little
3: in our mutual hometown of Fort Worth, Texas. We're here in your mother's
0: kitchen. Yeah, that's right. We are, we are coming to you live from the home of Leola Curtis in, uh, the, in Fort Worth, Texas. I, I haven't been here for, wow, 25 years.
3: Can I do a little play-by-play for the folks that might be listening via radio today? Please. So there's the hallway to your right where you would come in and have the kind of obligatory, awkward conversation with my mom. Mm-hmm. Where she'd be really interested in what you were doing. Your mom,
0: yeah, your mom is not, there's nothing awkward, but it's but it's just uh, when you're 16 and you're talking to an adult, it's that, that is awkward. Yeah,
3: exactly. Uh, the TV over here to my left is where you and I sat down and watched WWE superstars together. Mm-hmm compared to a lot of notes on professional wrestling. Do you can we can we tell the people how we met if they don't know when we were 14 years old? Please. All right. So so correct me if I get this origin story wrong at any point. You and I had a mutual friend. I knew him from years of school in Fort Worth. You had just moved here and you knew him from church. Yeah. We went to his slumber party.
0: Yeah, one one of the one of the perks of being I mean, okay, so you as a preacher's kid, you move around sometimes and not great to be without friends. One of the perks is that sometimes people, the kids your age at church, are obligated to be your friend. So <laughs> this mutual friend Seth was like called me the night I moved to town the day before school started, and this guy, and this this guy called me the night before. He's like, "You don't know me, but I will meet you in the lobby of the high school
3: <laughs> tomorrow." <laughs> like your mentor at yeah, college. Exactly.
0: Um, so yeah, that was so that he was. We were, that was our mutual friend.
3: And I remember we went to the slumber party, and you and I were aware of each other. Yeah. But I seriously doubt we'd ever met, and I doubt we'd really ever even spoken to each other. Definitely not. And Seth had a Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I, to this slumber party, brought the Royal Rumble Super Nintendo game, as one does. We were 14 years old. Still one of the best wrestling games ever, yeah. And I remember bringing it in, and you looked down at it and looked up at me, and you said, do you like wrestling? <laughs> and I said, yeah, do you? See, in my
0: In my memory... I looked down and looked up and I said, do you want to start a media podcast in 25 years? <laughs> but I'm sure it was it was one of the two, yeah.
3: And I, I want to say the weeks and months after that were kind of amazing because you know how when you're in that friendship where you're friends with somebody, maybe better friends with somebody else, mm-hmm. the other person's better friends with somebody else, but then you decide that you two are actually friends yeah, and you two are going to um. be best friends and you have these moments where you're like, look at each other like, hey we're we're gonna be friends yep we're gonna know each other mm-hmm. um and of course that happened we knew each other in college lived together after college let me just blow your mind with one more fact here uh-oh that fateful meeting at the slumber party uh-huh. you and me that was 30 years ago this year oh my god we've known each other for 30 years wow yeah okay
0: Okay, I can I can come to terms with that. That's a lot, but okay.
3: <laughs> and a top five subject during most of that three decades, David, has been professional wrestling. I was
0: I was gonna say if we had this conversation, if we had this conversation maybe on a different Monday, it might be a little bit harder to swallow. But we just had a good we just had a good night together. We had a good, a good weekend, and and I was like, all right, for as old as I am, maybe you know this is. It, We've accomplished a thing or two.
3: Let's shoehorn that into a media podcast. Here in the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes. If our voices sound a little scratchy, it's because David and I were covering professional wrestling last night. I was covering, yeah. We were at AT AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys. To cover Wrestlemania 38. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple things about this. First of all, I love the vibe we had there because it was the vibe we had going back to high school here at this house. When we lived together in the Lower East Side of New York, we were even sitting on the same sides. Because for whatever reason, whenever you and I watch wrestling, you would always sit on the right. Really? And I would always sit on the left. Remember the apartment you'd be laid out on that plaid couch on the right?
0: Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. And I would sit on that fuzzy white chair to the left. Oh yeah! And I sort of looked up last night in the middle of this giant football stadium with seventy thousand plus alleged fans in it, and I was like, "We're still in the same spots." They
0: were. They were actual fans. The seventy thousand is what you're alleging. Is what, what you're putting the attaching <laughs> the alleged to. Um, yes. Yeah. We are. It's. Just, it's the more things change, I guess. Right.
3: Yeah. We also had this great vibe last night because it was almost like being in a newspaper press box where you were the beat writer mm-hmm. and you were going to have to deliver the gamer at the end of the evening right you had responsibilities and I was like the young reporter who had to write a sidebar yeah so I'm just sitting there like talking in your ear and being like hey look at that hey remember that from 1989 nine? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was fantastic it was
0: great it was great I mean it's like oh you know you watch you watch wrestling half of it is nostalgia half of it is making jokes about the things you remember, which is why it's fun to watch with friends. But obviously, there's a even more familiarity and even more institutional hu- humor memory
3: um, when it's, you know, me and you than it is just about anybody else. For people that don't know, when you cover a big wrestling event like last night... cover We'll use cover loosely, but yes. What are you judging? What do you want to see?
0: Um, okay, so... <sighs> I have a new podcast. kind that came out today, actually, called "The Book of Wrestling," um, and we t- and it's it's a it's a narrative podcast and a little bit more. Uh, this is a great synchronicity, but it's it, I go into a lot of why wrestling in in the in the first episode go into sort of you know, I built I built the whole episode around the, the the phrase you know that stuff's fake, don't you? Which is what we, you know you and I would always hear as a kid if you were like oh I like wrestling, and if the person wasn't a fan, they'd be like they feel obligated to inform you that pro wrestling is staged and you know, the, the episode's about why this is, that's exactly the point, right? That's what we love about pro wrestling. I mean, it's why it's so, it's such a, a I think an, an incredible art form. Um, But so what you watch when you're, when you're watching it, you know, from a, uh, the perspective of someone quote unquote covering it or whatever is, is it's about the performance and it's about the, the fulfillment of expectations or of hopes or the, crushing of hopes you know I mean it's 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 how they tell the story that gets you to the to the end point and it's a lot of the times you feel like you know how it's going to end I mean a lot of times you 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 can say with great confidence you know what the ending note will be and the winning and the losing sometimes doesn't even matter to that but you know you you hear rumors about what's going to happen you see if those are going to be fulfilled you Mm see you see this kind of how they manage expectations and live up or fail to live up to them um and yeah, just sort of, like, it, the whole thing is just sort of a... Um, managing expectations is really important because the whole thing being put on is about... It's, it's all the tease, right? Up until the match and then through the match until the very end of the match. The whole thing is is the building of suspense, and you don't know how it's going to end. And so it's, it is, it's just incredibly fun, even from a totally jaded point of view, to watch how they get to that, in
3: note so there's the in-ring stuff like did the performers land the moves sure did they do a good job Mm -hmm. and then the second aspect you're talking about really reminds me of when we have a ringer tv podcast and we're judging the showrunners on how they put everything together i think i've said this before but
0: I, i feel very like i feel very strongly that either either Spiritually or literally, the concept of judging showrunners as or watching a show and saying this has bad writing, I believe that originated with pro wrestling. Interesting, because, because pro wrestling is a is a weekly live show, and it, and it had and very way before this was a thing in regular TV had a culture which would would grade the writing. I mean, would judge the writing, and and you and when you do it in real time, when you're talking about it the night the show aired and it was live it feels like you have a much more one-to-one relationship with the writing team, you know? I mean, and when you're, when you're literally there live and you're chanting this match sucks, you do have a relationship with the creative team, right? You are affecting what they've made. And it really wasn't until like you started seeing it a lot the last season of game of Thrones, when you, again, the production time, the, the, like they were producing the show is really close to the time that we were reviewing them, you know? And people started in and in, in the, in the production process was part of the narrative of the show, just like in professional wrestling, that you would see all these people just say like, oh, that episode had bad writing. You know, not, it wasn't, it was never a commentary, well, it was less a commentary on the specifics of the plot or the decisions, but just a blanket bad writing. You know, no, <laughs> and that's, and I feel like that came from wrestling. So yeah, you, you, you do see a lot of, a lot of the sort of, you are engaging with that when you're there live as a wrestling fan. I always say, you're not a good guy unless you're getting cheered. You're not a bad guy unless you're getting booed. I mean, the, the fans in wrestling are so much more important than any other sport.
3: I feel, too, when we talk about TV criticism and wrestling criticism, mm-hmm. or writing, whatever you want to call it, that, like, there was this dawning awareness at the same time of all the mechanics of actually writing the show sure well you so learned maybe, the word showrunner that's a
0: good example in the word TV.
3: showrunner right or tv people start being like oh yeah the b plot on this episode was x mm-hmm. something that no one would have ever said yes 10 20 years ago and that happened in wrestling too right people became aware of how you put together a show mm-hmm. so they could sort of judge it on these very within very insidery terms yeah
0: yeah, well, in pro wrestling, you know, the, the the code of kayfabe, as they say, used to be so heavily guarded that you wouldn't understand, you know, you, you wouldn't have an idea of how the business worked unless you had been in the business. But I think in the age of the internet, anyone who's been in the business and been spit out by it, you know, probably doesn't care enough about kayfabe, as much about kayfabe as, you, as they would if they were still in the business. So all these little words, the terms are getting out, the terminology, the concepts, everything – has been coming out steadily for the past twenty five years or thirty years or something like that so um yeah people people know people people have have slowly learned how pro wrestling works and are i mean if you if you hang out with wrestling fans as you did a little bit last night, the language the the vocabulary is that of being an insider like you can't talk about wrestling without talking about the push someone's getting or the, you know, or the gimmick or the whatever. Like it's, you know, it's, it's all insider
3: terminology. By the way, being among wrestling fans, which I hadn't been in a while, there is no other group of people on the planet that stop each other more and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Where'd you get that t-shirt? Oh yeah. I heard that all night last night. (laughs) (laughs) There's official stuff. Semi-official stuff, stuff, unofficial stuff.
0: Yeah. It's a, It's funny, I was saying this to somebody. When I when I was, even when I first started doing this, 10 years ago or whatever, there was like three places to get shirts. You either get it from WWE or you'd get it from, you know, one of a couple high-profile sort of like, you know, replica shirt maker type or like humor shirt makers, you know? Mm-hmm. And now there's just, there's so many different, there's so many different places to get it. I was actually wearing a WWE brand shirt last night but that was brand new like literally they'd put it in the shop that day and i walked over to buy it because i liked it and but no one had seen it right no one's familiar with it so everyone was coming up to me to ask me where i got it just like right there like you can go buy one but yeah people are people love to know where you got the shirts
3: given how much of wrestling is storytelling, high-level storytelling. Mm-hmm. When you're at an event like you were last night, do you then need to go back and watch it on TV so that you hear yeah. the commentary and hear all that stuff to really get a sense of it?
0: Yeah, it's it's one of the weird things about trying to actually, you know, write about it and cover it. You can't, you can't fully process it without listening to the story. Well, sometimes you can't. I mean, I, I'm not, I would be lying if I said I went back and watched every single thing. But, you know, like the mat, the main event last night was Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. It was a pretty straightforward match but this but um you know i could probably do like a 75 percent job like discussing it but but what really matters especially in the higher profile matches is the story they're telling right like we know that spoiler alert like roman reigns beat brock lesnar and is now the unified champion and everything else but like and and there, there were you can see from your seat that like both of the guys were injured during the match and were getting beat up. But is that it was the bigger story they were telling that you know Roman Reigns got hurt in the opening in the opening bit and he was just trying to overcome the whole way through you know whatever like uh, or and also like AJ Styles versus Edge that I mean this they you could tell they were telling the story that or you can tell that at, at one point Edge comes off the top rope and lands on or AJ comes off the top rope and, and lands on Edge's knees. I was editing a piece about this match by Phil Schneider that we published on Ringer.com this morning, and, but it, it wasn't clear from our seats as good as they were that the story, the literal story in the match from that point on was, you know, Edge was overconfident, wasn't expecting, you know, he's, he was trying to out, you know, trying to ex, ex, have this giant moment coming off the top rope, and, they, and he suffered the injury throughout the rest of the match, right? He was like, he never quite rebounded from that moment.
3: Hmm. Um. A legitimate injury? No, no, no. All fake. Okay.
0: But like that. But the. But you know, they would say he was selling the ribs the whole match. That's again insider lingo.
3: Yeah. And by the way, it's so funny because I remember that moment with mm-hmm. his knee injury, quote unquote, and turning to you and adopting an announcer voice without even thinking about it. Edge, edge, nursing that wounded knee, David. Yeah. Exactly. We just fill in the blanks. Totally. So you need to essentially the thing you're missing when you're at an event like that is what did the people say on television. Uh huh. What story were they telling about this match? Because they don't,
0: because, yeah, it's not just play-by-play, right? In the 70s and into the 80s, it was. 70s, it was play-by-play. 80s, it became more of uh, play-by-play with, you know, running advertisements for whatever was coming, you know, whatever big show was coming up or whatever, kind of telling a, a different big story. They'd be talking about other stuff when two guys were in the ring. Um, or or the, whatever whoever the more famous competitor was what he had on his agenda moving forward not what was happening in the ring at that moment in time but now it's it's a, it's about telling the story right it's about tell it's about being a part of the narrative and uh and so yeah it's you have to sort of you have to know and and it matters it matters the way that they that the announcers the, the but the way the announcers treat the wrestlers tells you a lot about sort of what the company's investment in them is and that sort of thing.
3: The you know? level of enthusiasm, yeah. and the level they're working them, and all that stuff.
0: Because that's all a reaction to, that's all a reaction to uh, what's what's going to like to what the fans are doing, right? Like the fans, if there's a good guy and the fans boo you, then you know that they have to rearrange the storytelling, presumably. But the announcers then are the are the the the, the straightest conduit to the
3: mind of the people in charge. This is a good segue because I'm fascinated by wrestling announcers. Great. Going back to when we were kids, Uh Gorilla Monsoon with the literally rose-colored glasses. Yes. Or maybe they were kind of a shade of mauve Uh going on to Vince McMahon, going on to Jim Ross. We had Michael Cole on the podcast last week who is kind of the Joe Buck of professional wrestling Mm -hmm. in more ways than one. And I'd heard him when I was getting ready for the interview say in a different interview that he was an actor. And I asked him, when you say you're an actor, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Here's what he said.
4: Uh, I always tell everyone when when they ask me about working for WWE and sports entertainment, I explain to them that I am a, uh, a fake broadcaster uh, for a make-believe sport. Uh, and I use a fake name. Um, and I mean all of that with the utmost respect. Uh, I'm not poking fun at the profession by saying that. But I try to use that analogy to explain to people what it's like to be a commentator in sports entertainment. My real name Sean Cothard. Uh, I came from CBS News. Uh, I walked into sports entertainment as a fan, not having any idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, I had to come up with a different name uh, because at the time, Sean Michaels was a major star in the company and they didn't want to have two Seans on the air. So I took my middle name and half my last name. So I have a, a a name that doesn't doesn't belong to me. And um, I play a, a broadcaster on television. Uh, and it's really important that people understand that, because, yes, indeed, we do broadcast and we are commentators and it's very serious at what we do. But there are many, many points that we have to act. And if we don't believe in certain storylines or we don't believe in certain characters, we have to make the audience believe that we believe. So we are actors and you know, in many ways, uh, we're a scripted television show, so we have to do things the way that the writers and the boss wants things want, want things done. And that's why I consider myself an actor more so than anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, you see a lot of people cross over in the world of professional wrestling. Johnny Knoxville was on the show last night. Um,
3: <laughs> that was amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and you know, I guess there's probably a little bit more of a direct parallel between what Johnny Knoxville does at, at, on Jackass and what people do in professional wrestling. But you see, but people come in the in the world of wrestling. If you're an established personality and you have to play the wrestling version of your personality, they always say the most successful wrestling characters the ones that are you with the volume turned up, right? I mean, it's just you come in, you're still a journalist. You're going to continue to play the role of a journalist, but. It's not the same job.
3: I'm a broadcast journalist, as Bobby Heenan used yes, to. Exactly.
0: Say. Exactly.
3: I did think there's something interesting there. And to you, the point you just made is that when you say acting, the announcers that I talk to and write about on a normal, everyday basis, mm-hmm. they are also acting. Yeah. We should be clear. They may not be acting like Michael Cole is on a WWE broadcast, but when there's an exciting play, they're not delivering an auth- authentic version of excitement on the air so much as this is going to sound like I'm excited.
0: I thought you were going to say that they were acting like they liked the people in the booth with them, but yes, it's, <laughs> you're right. Uh, it, it is a deliberate register that you reach to evoke a certain feeling or whatever. And
3: yeah. Right. And if you weren't acting, I think you'd be bad at it.
0: Right. But at least they could say that they were reacting to a surprise, a surprising moment, an unexpected moment in the game. Whereas, well, Michael Cole doesn't always know what's going on. You know, he's not, Isn't always fully briefed on what's going to happen in the match. He's. It would. It would probably. I think that calling, him, calling himself an actor is a little bit of, is sort of a much. It's a smart and sort of, defense, but 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 a kind of defensive way of talking about it because, even if he were surprised, a lot of wrestlers, and I mean a lot of announcers in the 70s and 80s, just sat down in their chair and, and treated it like a real sport. You know, just it reacted to what was happening in front of them. Um. But it's just what, like, what a silly argument to get into about whether or not it's a it's a real reaction when it, when the sport is scripted, right? It's just so unnecessary to be talking about this.
3: It's not an argument, but it's interesting to me.
0: No, no, it's it's interesting, but I but I appreciate whole of calling himself an actor
3: yes, because it's to because, just kind of take it all off the table. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, why why would that be what matters? What matters is what you is your performance.
3: Yeah, but I did ask him about that. I was like, you know, you know all the results of the matches, right? And he said some of them, mm-hmm. but some of them he deliberately doesn't so that viewers get something like a genuine reaction.
0: One of the craziest moments in professional wrestling history, as just a point of reference, is when Hulk Hogan joined the NWO, came out as the, the third member of the NWO, turned his back on all the- Gigantic. Hulkamaniacs, uh, and got uh, had an audience just throwing trash at him for about 20 minutes in the ring, literally. It's a, it's a great moment, uh, marred by only two, one of the most incredible moments in wrestling history. Marred by only two tiny things. One, at one point, Hogan ac- accidentally called it the New World Organization instead <laughs> of the New World Order. They've had to work, work they had to mess with that in post. Kind of important to get right. Right, but the but the other part was that Bobby Heenan, who you just mentioned, was on uh, color commentary, and they did not with none of the no one in the booth was warned that Hogan was about to turn but because Bobby Heenan had made a career of being the bad guy color commentator to Hogan's good guy, he accused. He, he surmised, he, I guess he was so sure that Hogan wasn't about to join the villains that he thought it was an okay joke to make to say, well, Hogan's the third man. I bet he's, come, because he was trying to insult Hulk Hogan as a character. And then when Hulk Hogan really joined the NWO, everyone was just like, oh, Heenan must've known ahead of time. No, he, Heenan didn't know. That's the only reason he said it is because he didn't know, but it kind of ruined the moment.
3: Yeah, he ruined the surprise.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because he suggested this thing that was, clear that was that then just happened.
3: I totally remember that. I remember Tony Schiavone doing the classic straight ahead play-by-play man response to that, which yeah. is, would you stop it? Yeah. How would you be serious? Of course he's not doing that. He did. By the way, on a slow day on your show, or maybe this show, we need to do wrestler announcer Rushmore. Oh. I actually think it's really hard. I think it might be harder than the NFL to do.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you go back to, I mean, in the in the late 70s, all of the the, the last standing territories or the, the big territories at that point had announcers that were,
3: that would be on someone's Mount Rushmore and deservedly so. Yeah, but that's the thing. You get into that, right? Well, you never saw so-and-so in the NWA. How could you leave him off your list? Fascinating. Exactly. Fascinating thing. Uh, a couple more for you on the art of covering professional wrestling. Is there a press box at wrestling events? Yeah. The, the, the proper press box at, a, at an event like WrestleMania is open and full. Because we were in regular seats, but there is a yeah. press box
0: uh-huh. up there. Is it okay to cheer in the press box? That's the funny thing. You asked that when I was, I think maybe the first time I did the press box or at least started the event, you know, like actually had a press pass and did, you started the event in there was in, oh God, what was it? 31, 32. Uh, I never get my numbers right, but but we, I was up there and, and um, Sitting with, you know, a bunch of people I know from the internet, as you know, just like any other press box, all these wrestling writers. And uh it was where was it? Maybe this was in Miami. It was in a football stadium, obviously, and 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 the staff of the stadium was there, right? I mean, it wasn't just the WWE PR team, it was the like the stadium PR people were there too. And We were all, it must have felt like a totally normal football Sunday. You know, everybody was there and everybody was kind of chummy and getting ready, getting their notebooks out or their laptops out. And the first match, Daniel Bryan, who's just a huge favorite of the fans, but particularly of the sort of like, you know, smart set in wrestling, which is everybody was in the press box. Daniel Bryan returns uh, and wins a battle royal or or wins a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship out in in the entire... Press box just exploded. I mean, just we, <laughs> everybody went nuts, high fiving, going crazy. And I looked back and saw some of these like poor PR people from who were used to working football games who were just looked like they were gonna die. They were just like, (laughs) what is happening?
3: That's amazing. It's like when Americans beat the Soviets in hockey.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like we and every single, every single quote unquote journalist was just like, yeah. But that's the point. You know, like you like the hardest thing when you're covering this thing full time is to stay engaged as a fan, right? To stay like to actually care. Because you watch about it so much. I mean you watch it so much. You've seen it for so many years. I think it's a real badge of honor if you can like get that excited about the outcome of a match because it's showing that you're staying engaged, you know. And Just like, you know, if you're watching with a watching basketball with somebody who's really smart, a really smart writer, and they can you know point out defenses and tell you what the coach is thinking, that's them staying engaged, right? For a wrestling fan, it's like actually for wrestling writer. It's like actually just like care, investing yourself even a little bit in what's going
3: on. Our boss likes to joke about the aggregators whenever he's making proclamations about the NBA. Dude, this was my first experience with the wrestling internet aggregators uh-huh. when I did the Michael Cole interview. Oh my goodness. First of all, there's a whole bunch of them. And I don't know if they're all owned by the same thing, but there's all there's just like the it was a very aggressive aggregation. And also all these websites had transcribed either the whole interview or a whole lot of the interview one place
0: will usually transcribe it and the rest will steal off that, that transcription and do the credit so-and-so,
3: but it was amazing. I mean, there were all these headlines like, you know, Michael Cole comments on this. Michael Cole talks about his hearing loss. Michael Cole talks about the number. I was like, wow, this is a very efficient. Like we are going to find out what he said in there that we think is newsworthy and put it online Mm -hmm. so that people will click on it. Yeah. That was really interesting to me.
0: Different post for every, for every bit, for every, for every item.
3: Swerving back to media here, we got to talk about Pat McAfee mm-hmm. because he is a sports podcast host at Arizona Sports Radio. I'm pretty sure he hosts. He calls it a sports podcast. He is a color commentator on the wrestling matches Friday nights on SmackDown on Fox. He is a media guy generally. He was competing last night, and he was so popular. <laughs> yeah, with the crowd. Yeah. I almost think, and we've talked about this like barstool, and I'll have a hundred conversations about this. And I know he spent like five minutes in the barstool empire, but there are these people who have this kind of fame that I think the world, <laughs> the world does not quite have their arms around. Mm-hmm. And when you are in a stadium with seventy thousand people mm-hmm. allegedly, and Pat McAfee, a, again a sports talker, is in the ring, and I know he does a hundred other things, and yeah. seventy thousand people. Are fired up when you're coming down to the ring. Do that. I mean, how many people could do that? How many people have that experience in their life? I mean,
0: yeah. How many people would have that? Would get that sort of reaction? I mean, it's just a vanishingly small list, right? A short list.
3: And they're cheering him because he's Pat McAfee and he's entertaining and because he likes wrestling and he yeah. treats wrestling with respect mm-hmm. and he's learned the moves. He's not just like I'm a famous person who's in there screwing around. Oh no,
0: he's a better wrestler than a lot of people whose
3: careers are being a wrestler. So what's he going to do in that world? We know like the po- the podcast is huge, the gambling money is huge. He was big at the Super Bowl. Is he going to just have a like a giant career? Well, here's the career? thing. You're
0: right. The game the, the money that he's making from his show, from the Pat McAfee show is beyond enormous, right? Which I think is sort of the point. Which go it's it, there's a direct line from there to the cheers because when he decided to start b- being the SmackDown color commentator every Friday night, or even before that, when he was getting involved with NXT, they they sort of made it, they sort of blurred the lines and made it seem like this was his first match. It was not his first match. He wrestled a couple of times in NXT, WWE's developmental league, kind of, you know, giving his first, his, doing his first stuff. there, Not as a developmental wrestler, but because there, I think there was a an easier entry point there for him before he became a color commentator. But the point is, he doesn't need to be a color commentator. He certainly doesn't need to be a wrestler, to, you know, he's, he's got enough money that he could start his own wrestling company if he wanted to, he doesn't need to be doing this, but the, he's a fan. I mean, that's the thing. And as a wrestling fan, you might, turn your nose up at a celebrity wrestling at Wrestlemania like yeah. like listen Johnny Knoxville was about as popular as you could get but you could understand why a fan would be like <laughs> why why does Johnny Knoxville get this match and not my favorite wrestler who was left off the card sure who's right? worked
3: hard his whole life to get to this movie
0: Johnny Knoxville's just here for a paycheck What I mean that not Johnny Knoxville again not in particular Johnny celebrity Knoxville but, but you would say that but Pat McAfee, you know why he's there because he loves wrestling as much as you do, right? So like, there's all the fame and there's all the accomplishment and stuff. But why does he get the, Why does he get that kind of u- uniformly just huge reaction from everybody there? Mm-hmm. Because he there's I mean, even more so than some of the wrestlers, like he has there's like very clear evidence that he cares about this more than anybody else,
3: right? Right, And
0: that's what we all care about, right? Mm-hmm. Wrestling fans love nothing more than like the sort of validation of like a mainstream article. They don't care what it says or like, you know, or just or someone hearing a celebrity they like or a musical artist they like saying they like wrestling. It's that sort of validation because it's It's always been an underground thing. And to have someone on the level of McAfee, not only cares, loves wrestling as much as we do, but has gone the extra mile, has dedicated the past decade of his life to becoming a wrestler just for the hell of it. Is I mean that's there's uh, that's about as easy a, a guy to cheer for as you can imagine.
3: Next year at WrestleMania in Los Angeles, can we have a sports radio host battle royal, <laughs> mainly for the purposes of just walking them all down the aisle mm-hmm. and hearing how many people respond? Like I think Jim Rome gets a pretty big response in that world. Mm-hmm. There's enough crossover. Colin Coward, maybe you know. The problem with Colin.
0: Because he, he is a great personality for that world. The problem with Colin is just that he just dresses too, too sort of normally, right? You're never like a, ni- a nice, a nice, like light blue button down shirt is never going to get you booed the way that he deserves <laughs> to be booed. He needs to be wearing sequins or something.
3: Okay. Well, that's something that I'd definitely like to see that if we can make <laughs> that happen. Dan Labotard come down there. I just, I want to know what does the pro wrestling crowd think about. American That's sports so radio great. host. That's a great question. Let's, well, let's march them all down.
0: Let's get them down there. there. I mean, listen, there have been other quote unquote broadcasters that have made the, that have made their appearances, right? I mean, Mario Lopez has been in and around it a lot. I'm pretty sure Maria Menounos, if we're counting, if we're, if we're counting like entertainment tonight type host, Maria Menounos had a WrestleMania match. Obviously there've been the Bob Euchers of the world. who have had oh, various run-ins cute. in the early days of WWE um, or WrestleMania season. I mean, it's, there's been some crossover, but I love the sports radio host game. It's a good idea.
3: David, let us do the overwork Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag. That was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod, where they are always gratefully received. You know, what's coming here because I actually showed you this last night at at stadium. After we walked, as we were walking out of the arena, there was an all timer tweet from the Hollywood reporter. And for people to truly understand this tweet you need to know that the first letter of every word was capitalized (laughs) here's the tweet louis ck wins grammy for first special since sexual misconduct allegations (laughs) it was an overworked twitter joke to write this is a really specific category but i guess someone had to win it (laughs) thanks to adam Waltonbaugh and cameron if you've now decided that you're definitely not watching the grammys next year congrats
1: Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer.
2: This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought
1: to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates.
3: All right, the notebook dump, David, a few quick items for you. One was. We had two big signings last week in sports media world, Woj and Schefter, Adrian Wojnarowski, NBA insider for ESPN, Adam Schefter, same job on the NFL. Mm -hmm. They usually report on free agents. Mm -hmm. They were approaching a free agency of their own. Oh yeah. And there was a lot of interest from gambling companies Mm -hmm. because, you know, we talk about, there's this crossover now between the media world and the gambling world. And Ooh, they have all the information mm-hmm. about who's going to go where, about who's hurt, who's going to play. What if we could get our hands on one of them? Yeah. ESPN re signed both of them and sent out the press release on the same day, which seems like a really big deal mm-hmm. in our little world. I yeah. thought a couple of things about this one is the Jimmy Pitaro era at ESPN. It's been very different than the John Skipper era.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: One way it's different is Jimmy Pitaro likes to build around big stars a hand, a small handful of really big stars. Yeah. It's almost like the Rams, you know, approach to team building versus, I don't know, some other teams. Yeah. And if you think about what is Jimmy Petrero ESPN, Stephen a Smith, Joe and Troy now making a combined 30 plus million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Woj and Schefter. Yeah. Top 10 stars in the ESPN universe. So it's that continued thing of like, no, 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 we're not going to let somebody get away just because they're expensive. Actually, that's the that's the person we want to go resign.
2: Yeah. And promote
3: them even more. Yeah. Rather than having this big sort of middle that I think the Skipper era had. Sure. What do you, I mean, what do you think that from a from a talent point of view, though? I mean,
0: there's got to be some point where you're like, yes, I will. You know, I'm deeply interested in. What you know? Giant Brinks trucks full of cash that some of these <laughs> that, that some of these you know these uh, casinos or whatever gambling outfits are offering up. But who
3: among us is not interested in a giant Brinks truck full of cash? Sure,
0: but but this is the point: is that if at some point you're getting offered enough money, I mean, you, there's a there's a dollar figure that ESPN can hit where you're just like, it's probably not worth just the uns the ambiguity of my career going forward trying like trying to basically do like a sports startup in-house at a gambling company
3: so that's my second point both of these guys are newspaper guys going way back Schefter, denver post rocky mountain news mm-hmm. woge on the east coast a guy who wanted to grow up and be the next great new york city sports columnist mm-hmm. i think it's a big bridge to cross to go from espn which is not 100 percent a journalism company but is a lot of journalism company has lots of journalistic ambitions within lots of other ambitions yeah. to cross that bridge and go to a gambling company. Yeah. Like I think that's a big deal in somebody's life. Now, again, maybe someday there is a Brinks truck big enough or heavy enough that makes you do it. But I think if you, I think if you, and I'm not, this doesn't come from either of them. This is just me talking for, for you to do that, you really walking away from something else and probably walking away from something that a whole lot of your career was based around and a whole lot of things you dreamed of being were based around.
0: Yeah. Well, think about, I mean, I'll admit, I have a pretty narrow perspective on a lot of the things that we talk about on this show. I mean, we both, I mean, everybody, I think in life does. And and we, 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 we zoom out and expand when the subject calls for it. But I, that's all to say if you told me right now that De- that Darren Ravel was like ten times more popular than before he went to the Action Network, I would just grudge. I would just assume that you were telling me the truth. But I know from that where I'm sitting, like I almost had to Google Darren Ravel's name to make this point, right? Like he's just so far sort of off the radar, <laughs> and so I, I don't. I, I yeah, I mean, I think that that's got to be part of the calculus too, right? I we wouldn't fault anybody for doing whatever they wanted to do. And maybe just from a totally like entrepreneurial point of view, like that there's, you know, those sorts of business ventures would be of interest to you, but you're right. If you're a newspaper person, um, reaching the sort of top of the heap is, is very well may be the goal and staying there is a testament to everything you've accomplished, right? You're not looking for an exit strategy. You're looking to you know, I'm gonna defend my title, I'm, de- I'm gonna win the title at WrestleMania and defend it here next year too. That's a guarantee, you know. I mean, you're you're just gonna you're staying there is 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 important.
3: Totally. And if you leave, they're gonna try to develop somebody else. Yep. Now that person may not be nearly as good as you, mm-hmm. but they're gonna go shopping for somebody else to fill that role. Yeah. To compete with you and they're gonna promote the hell out of it. Yeah. It also touches on this whole like institutionalist versus journalist on their own debate. That we've been hearing in in a lot of different forms yeah like do you need the journalism company is it important to you to be a part of a journalism company or do you really just want to do what you do and find ways to do whatever the hell you want to do it um that that's all in this part too
0: it's true i mean but it's got there's some point where like if, if you're offered so much, i mean there's a lot of advantages to working for yourself but at some point, if you're like one of the top two, three, four or five people at a company the size of ESPN, I think you probably have all the perks of working for yourself and also an HR department you can call when you need to. And, that, you know, I mean, there's like some benefits to that.
3: If you followed the Tiger Woods tease here in advance, yeah. the Masters. Only peripherally,
0: because I keep seeing it on work slack.
3: What's going on? Played a practice round on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He played Augusta before that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is Tiger Woods. who was in a car accident in February 2021. So that's. 13 ish months ago, a little really over 13 bad months accident. ago, like
0: almost amputated leg or something. Accident, almost right? lost his
3: right leg. And it was kind of like, will Tiger Woods walk again? Will Tiger Woods play golf again under any circumstances? And he's come out and said, I'm never going to be a full-time golfer again. That's just where I play every tournament. That's just not going to happen. Right. But I might play again. And all of a sudden you have this walk up to the biggest golf tournament of the year where he's out there. Giving it a shot, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of unbelievable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild, and what a story! I mean, that's that and that's why you know. <laughs> listen, that's why we love pro wrestling, right? When something great happens in real sports, when something like this happens, what do you say? Like, oh god, it would have been, it couldn't have been any better if it were scripted.
3: You know,
0: <laughs> it's a real storybook sort of situation here right. for Tiger Woods. Couldn't have written
3: a better story. Yeah. Speaking of which, or I guess the opposite of which, I went to masters.com to check out the latest update. Mm-hmm. This is how the story on Tiger playing the Sunday practice round began. Tiger Woods knows you cannot win the Masters before it begins. But in the still of a sultry Sunday twilight, Woods might have poured the foundation to a game plan that will shape his fate this week. Couple notes there. The still of a sultry Sunday twilight. And <laughs> you and I are sitting here in Fort Worth, Texas, right now. It's a little much for me. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little much. It really is. Also, poured the foundation to a game plan. Not exactly sure the verbs and, uh, yeah, sandwiches line up no, with that one.
0: No. But yeah.
3: This is it, dude. Tiger Woods coming back is going to make media people do really weird things. It is. It's going to be on TV, on CBS. It's going to make people write weird things. Just a blanket warning to everybody. Great sports story. Potentially not great sports writing about it. Just a warning. (laughs) Oh, man. Final peg of this very, very busy sports stretch for us, David, is the Final Four. Duke-North Carolina super matchup was happening on Saturday night. Yeah, during WrestleMania. Dude, that was and everybody said this on Twitter. So I'm going to say it one more time of all the hyped games we've been given, like, Oh, this is the one everybody's waiting for. Can you believe it? And the reason they were saying that, because Mike chefs gets his last season at Duke. It could be, and turned out to be his last game ever Duke and North Carolina conference rivals that had never met in the NCAA tournament. It lived up to the hype. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, You don't get many like that. I am fascinated by media Duke hating. (laughs) Are you as fascinated by this as Did I am? Did we talk about this last week or is this just an offline conversation? Uh, we may have touched on it, but I want to talk about it some more. Well, because
0: there's all this, you know, Bill on his podcast, stop me if I'm repeating yeah, myself. Yeah, Kang. And, Bill on his podcast, well, no, before the Kang, I didn't even listen. I haven't listened to the Kang episode yet, but Bill on his podcast a couple of weeks ago was talking about how with Coach K retiring and sort of all the sort of, you know, legends of the, of the, you know, top basketball programs of our childhood sort of having moved on. He was like, are there no, you know, are there any more of these, are are we past the age where there's going to be the school that transcends the sport, right? Are we Mm -hmm. past the age of, like, Coach K and Duke are just, are always good, are always, you know, a page one story. Um, Obviously, it was Dean Smith, it was... um, well, John Calipari is still coaching, but you know, I mean, it was he may crazy. be
3: the one exception that unites
0: people in a certain way. But, but that's, but that's my, that's my thing. It's not about the schools being Jerry Tarkanian. It's not about the, the the programs being transcendent, or it is about the programs being transcendent. But I'm more interested in the questions like, are we done hating? Are we done hating schools? Are we done hating coaches? Is there ever going to be a school Calipari accepted because he's of the old guard? Are we ever going to be motivated to hate? A college coach like we've done, in, like we've like we've done with these schools, Duke in particular, for so long. I just don't see it happening because I think without the longevity, without being, it's gonna, it's so hard for a school to to have twenty years of success and to sort of be viewed that way. I, don't know, I just find it hard to imagine that some, that that we're, that the next Mike Shishovsky could ever get the amount of hate that Coach K has gotten.
3: So I think you're onto something that we need to confine it to basketball because Nick Saban. Oh yeah, you know, like college football is rife with this and every college football Saturday is just let's all hate this guy some more yeah let's watch this guy fall on his face in front of everyone I think March Madness actually does a
0: good job to in in that sense to keep college basketball sort of egalitarian in a way because there's so many schools and there's so many young coaches Who get the opportunity to shine and get the opportunity, you know, get some front page headlines and get get some hype behind them, and those and and that is now their recruitment tool for the next five years, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really it it allows I think that opportunity. Obviously, it's it's uh, a little bit easier to to have a basketball team shock the world, right? Because it's just all you need is three or four good players and a run of good luck, you know. But in college football, it's really hard to imagine anybody shocking the world without you know five top like top tier recruits on the offensive and defensive lines right totally. i mean you gotta you have to have sort of a baseline of recruiting excellence for the like institutionalized
3: and the players there three years yeah they develop the the ducating the unanimity of ducating is fascinating to me yeah because we, we you and I often talk about how the sports media has changed mm-hmm. everybody all of a sudden was against NCAA amateurism yeah it was kind of split in the 90s and then all of a sudden it was like, oh wow. Uh, everybody started reflexively defending players rather than defending management. At least yeah. most of the time. Didn't used to be that way 20, 30 in years ago. In college basketball specifically? No, just in all sports. Oh, yeah. You know, you were more you were you didn't find a lot of pro management writers. You found lots more pro player writers. For sure. The whole world flipped. Duke hating is kind of like that. Because mm-hmm. a l- lot of people really hated Duke, but all of a sudden it was like, oh, everybody hates Duke. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched the Bomani show on HBO, but like he did a very, very funny do d- comedy piece on his first episode. Oh no! What do you do? Oh, oh, dude, gotta watch it. No spoilers. Okay, it's it's worth it. But it's I mean, just it is, it is
0: worth pointing out that there was you know we did Bill did a thirty for thirty or they did a thirty for thirty at ESPN called I Hate Christian Leitner, which was just like oh, it emblematic was, of. I mean, was there ever? But see, that's fans.
3: You're right. I think Christian Lennon was, a, was an absolutely hated figure, Bobby Hurley, those teams. I was rooting for UNLV back in the day, right? But there is a certain, again, I don't think your like, average big-time columnist in a newspaper was like, you know who I hate? Duke. I think, it, I think it was, in fact, I think they probably liked Duke. I think they liked Coach K. Mm-hmm. I think they liked what he stood for. Yeah. I just think it's, it's interesting. one of those interesting ways the world changed. I got one little uh, bit for you from the announcing of the NCAA tournament. Go ahead. You know how athletes have a cliche when they're being interviewed after a game? They say, give the other team credit. Yeah. We lost or we won narrowly, but hey, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. Give them credit. That has crept into announcing when the athlete leaves the locker room for the broadcast booth. Mm -hmm. And it has especially crept into the announcing of Grant Hill, who is on CBS's number one team on the NCAA tournament. Yeah. This was from the Arkansas Gonzaga Sweet 16 game. Arkansas's Audis Tony blocked the shot of Gonzaga's Andrew Nebhard. Listen to how Grant Hill, who's on the lead team again, called this play. To the basket. Nice help again. Swatted
4: away. We swung that Cody at the begin- with the block. And Jim, we swung that at the beginning of the game on a fast break. It started early. The continues all ball game. And Pursuit. Look at that play. Unbelievable. Success and accomplishment. Nitty gritty.
2: And we talk about the play of, of Nimbard and struggling, but give credit to Tony. He has been fantastic.
3: Okay, so this was a game icing block. And Grant Hill wanted to make sure that we give credit to the person who had the game icing block. Imagine LeBron against the Warriors. You know, give LeBron credit for running down the court. Well, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, we're gonna. And and by the way, you can go ahead and give him credit. You don't need to say that. You're the color analyst. You can just you can just yeah, dispense here's, here's the credit. credit for you. Um, I counted three. Grand Hill, give them credits during the Final Four. I can't wait for tonight. Give them credit. Joe Breeze, by the way, I believe said this during the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah. Give them credit. No, no, you do it. <laughs> That's your job. Give Grand Hill credit, man. I he, mean, he's he's good at calling a game. Last quick thing for you. Scott Hastings, David, is the color analyst for the Denver Nuggets on Altitude Sports. You might remember Scott Hastings from the sure. early 90s NBA. He was sitting on the court before a game last week doing a live shot, talking to the studio, and someone in the studio asked if the Nuggets forward, Jamichael Green was going to play that night. Now, another television person might have said, my sources are telling me or I'll check. Listen to how Scott Hastings handled the question of whether Green was going to play.
4: Before I let you go, Hastings, I saw Jermichael Green
0: warming up behind you. Any word yet on if he's able to go tonight? I think he was questionable coming into this game.
2: Well, I'll ask you. Where'd okay. he go? Yeah. Hey, he on the- <laughs> Hey, Jermichael. You playing? <laughs> no, nah, he's not playing. <laughs> That's how you do it. tell Scott he got to wait for all these, these letters. got to wait for all these letters and stuff to come out. Just has to do. he said he wasn't playing.
1: Hastings, thank That's you tough. for that amazing insight. We appreciate it, giving us the answers that we're all wondering.
3: He turns around and just yells. <laughs> and he got the answer. Isn't that what we all want? We should all be as efficient as Scott Hastings. Good work, dude. It's time for David Shoemaker Guesses the Strained Pun headline all right let's do it thursday's headline about adam levine selling his los angeles home was he's gotta move like jagger (laughs) today's headline david comes from listener sdm it's from the british tabloid the sun the men's world cup draw is out for this fall and on november 21st england will be playing iran and the sun, David thinks this game against the Iranian men will be a very favorable matchup. What was the sun's strained pun headline? Is it "It's Iranian men"? Hallelujah! You, you got it. Yeah. You, well, you just said Iranian men.
0: That was. I'm it. sorry. I, I
3: heard it. It was too hard. Otherwise. Yeah, that's true. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. Coming up Wednesday, very special treat in these parts, David. Ian Eagle. Oh, yes. NBA announcer, college basketball announcer, NFL announcer on CBS. I'm sure that like if,
0: you know, if, if if Marv Albert and Al Michaels, who are both great guests, but I'm sure if they were like our age, they would be just wonderful podcast guests at all. But Ian Eagle is like the top of the mountain in terms of like how skilled he is at doing his job and how fun he is to hear
3: talk about his job. You want to hear one little taste from this? Please. We got to talking about how the official reviews now that are just out of control change the announcer's ability to call a game-ending play. Oh, yeah. That's the announcer's highlight reel, right? It's good. They win. They win. Mm -hmm. Here's Eagle on what the official review has done to that very precious moment. So, you know, what I've noticed with a lot of announcers,
4: and this, this is a really tough game to play on a buzzer beater, we know they're going to go look at it. We understand that. We know that they're going to go to the monitor. If you incorporate that as part of your call, that's there forever. So I've tried to at least create a little space between a game winner and then the next part of reporting, which is, yes, they're going to take a look at this. But if the first thing you say is they're going to take a look at this, I know no flags became a big call on football. And I just never, I never went there. I don't know why it always bothered me on the highlight that no flags wasn't going like, yeah, no,
3: no shit. <laughs> no flags. No shit. Shoemaker and I will talk masters and other stuff Monday. And we'll have more lukewarm takes about the media. David. See you then. See you later, Brian.
2: This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.
1: This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid